0: Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. It's appropriate today is Father's Day, because my guest today has been and continues to be a father figure to many of us. He embodies the perfect combination of both highly skilled hands and an extremely sharp intellect. Today, we're going to be talking about trifacial neuralgia, trigeminal neuralgia, or tic de la rue, whichever name you prefer. Honestly, I learned very little about this condition in school, so I told him that I did no research to prepare for this conversation. This is his show, and he's going to tell us what we need to know. So without any further ado, Dr. Denny O'Hara. Hello, Dr. O'Hara. Thank you for joining us again.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So today we're going to talk about—I uh, guess it goes by a couple names—but trifacial neuralgia, tic de la rue, uh, trigeminal neuralgia. And as I was telling you before, I had a—we were having dinner with a family friend, and I mentioned—I mentioned, I mentioned that we were going to be talking about this. And his response was, "My brother has that. He suffered with it for ten years." And so it kind of made me realize that this is a problem that I guess a lot of people have, um, and maybe sometimes it gets underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed, or we just kind of they kind of get left to the wayside. Cause I don't think there's a lot of medical treatment for it. So, um, but I know it's something that's, that you're kind of, you're pretty passionate about. So let me have you just go ahead and talk about it a little bit. And you can talk some, just kind of about how you got onto this trail. What was it about, about this that got your attention and made you want to start looking into it more?
1: Well, you know, it comes up at the seminar, different times, people will ask, you know, uh, about it and, and it's, and it, it all comes from having one. If you have a case that's like that, and, you know, what do we do to take care of that as, as a Gonstead chiropractor? And, and, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, all I did was basically do uh, what Dr. Gonstead uh, told us to do. You know, he kind of laid out the recipe on, on how you go about taking care of a, a case like this. And, and we followed along with that. And then, um, more questions would come up at the seminars, different times about it, and I realized I, um, I didn't really understand the wiring. I didn't understand the uh, what was really going on underneath, and why why we get them better, um, and and why some of them get better real easy, and some of them are very difficult. And so I, I realized better we better study this a little bit, and and just as in every case in chiropractic, the. It, we always have the conclusion that if it, if we see it over and over again, in in, in different patients, we know it's hardwired. There's got to be a, a, a wiring that that makes it happen that that same way all the time. And it's not just random. So trying mm-hmm. to figure out what the connections were and why it changed when, when we adjust a certain thing. And and again, that, that certain thing we adjust would be what Dr. Gotz had directed, directed us to do. And, and directed the first generation of chiropractors to follow them and and then of course that generation has been uh, was was the generation that was a mentor to me and now we of course we have uh, doctors that are younger than us that ask are now asking these questions so so having a bit little better understanding of what how it's all connected, I thought would be really good to really good to have you know a, a better understanding of it so
0: so did you have patients who have had it?
1: I had. I had at that time. Uh, at the time that I started to really uh, uh, open the textbooks on this particular case, um, I'd had I'd had 18 of them. And I, I stopped and, and uh, tried to figure out how many I had and wrote down different patients that I'd had through the years that I knew had it. And of course, it's not a diagnosis that we make as a chiropractor. They come in from the medical doctor with that diagnosis. So it's and I'd figured at that time I'd had about 18 of them, names that I wrote down that of patients that I was that either had been diagnosed with or seemed like they had it to me, and and uh, it would happen to be my 18th year, and and so at that time I thought well, that's about one a year, even though they don't come at a rate at one a year you you'll get one and then you'll get you'll get two or three more because of that one and then you won't have one for a while. You know, they it wasn't uh, it wasn't common, but it wasn't, but they come often enough that we need to know how to fix them. And uh, so after that time, after that sem- particular seminar, when I when I went back and wrote down the names of those, I just kept keeping track of them as they went along. And and last week was the the week of my fortieth year, and I and right now I'm at thirty eight of them, so it's just darn near one hmm. a year is what it come down to with as what the average is uh, that I'd had anyway in my practice. And, and I think that, and, um, I think there's a lot more of them out there, but the cases are so severe. They're so, so severe. The pain is that they don't wind up with us. They wind up, they wind up at the medical doctor, the medical professional a lot longer than, than say a low back case would or a regular headache or other issues that we see that patients don't get results, uh, with medical care and, and look for something different. Um, these are cases that are literally suicidal pain. And, and, and so I think because of that, you know, that we're not on their list of people they are going to come see unless someone else tells them, you know, I had that and my chiropractor fixed that. So, so at, at, I think there are more than, than one a year. If, if the people, if people knew that we could take care of this. And, and we do take care of it. This is not a treatment at all. Not a treatment at all. It's not something that you have to see this patient every so often or for years down the road. It's a correction. You get it right and mm-hmm. it's done. And some of them are remarkably easy and some of them are just tremendously tough. But it, it all comes down to when, when you finally get it, it's done. They don't come back. They come back for other things later, but they don't never come back with that again. It corrects it. So it's a, it's a correction. Um, you
0: know, It's interesting you say that because before we get back to the topic, that's something we don't ever talk about is the idea of a correction versus something that's a process. And there are several things that are like that where, it's, where it's, once it's fixed, you leave it alone. Bedwetting would be one of those. Um, there's some other things like that that once you get them fixed, you leave them alone. And we probably should do a better job of explaining that there are certain conditions you don't want to just keep going after. So I appreciate that you said that about this, so that we know from the beginning that we're making a correction and then we're going to leave it alone.
1: Yes. Once, in fact, once that's, once that pain is done and this pain is so severe, it is literally a suicidal pain um, that once that, that pain is so severe I always think I'm scared to death to touch them again. They, they ask me mm-hmm. after the pain is gone and they really, they're really like, oh, this is so wonderful. That's gone. Should I come once a month just to make sure it stays away? And I, I always tell them, don't even drive by. I don't want you anywhere near my <laughs> office because if it, if it fires up again, we'll, we'll do it. But, but for, for that particular trouble, we would not touch that area again. We just leave that be, I, I would be scared to death, to have it come back. And and I had a case that did come back and was more difficult. And I I can tell I can tell you about my first my first case the, the, the first 18 that I did um, it, within that within that first 18 I had there were a number of them that are one or two visits and it was done. It was just that easy. And and I always thought, geez, I hit a bingo. You know, there's there was more luck than skill involved there, but the right listing on the right spot and it's gone. And then I had. I had some that were, you know, a little more difficult than that, but still went away. I had two that I could not change or affect at all. And then I had another one that took a little time, got her better. And then she got to where it was gone. She's doing very, very well. And about two months after she'd been doing well, she went to the dentist and they did a cleaning Mm. because she she had not brush her teeth in three years. And she told me, she said, I'm not the kind of person that doesn't brush their teeth. She said, but the pain, it would send her into spasms so bad to stimulate, brushing her teeth would stimulate it so bad. She hadn't brushed her teeth. And so after the pain was gone, she actually went into the dentist who had tried other things for her. And they, they actually put her under and cleaned her teeth. And after she woke up, we had a heck of a time after that. And, and that was one that got to stop. And then after it got started again, I could not get it stopped. And so even though, even though I thought we were following what Dr. Godson had told us to do, there were still some that were difficult in a way that, um, that I knew that we, we didn't have a full understanding of it. He understood enough to maybe do quite a few of them, but there was still something missing, uh, on, on some, because I, I had two that hadn't changed at all. Um, and one of those that I didn't change, um, I never got to see again, that was done. But one of the ones I didn't change from the very start, um, was a patient who stayed with me for a long time. She's a Catholic nun and no amount of prayer would make this, this pain go away. It was just a horrible pain for her. And, And I tried a number of listings. I tried every table. I tried everything that I could to change it. And I found out later looking at a a tape of Dr. Godstead of his GAT seminar in Davenport and that they got on this subject and they talked about the listings that are possible for, for uh, the the trigeminal neuralgia on on say on the one side of the face and the listing he, told them that it would work, somebody asked him, would that listing work? And he said, oh, absolutely. And it was completely opposite of what my thinking was at the time. And my thinking at that time was that the rotational aspect of the atlas was the main cause of this particular problem, of this problem, because the the, the pressure that causes this problem is on the back side at about 45 degree angle at the at the angle right where the tract of the sour goes into the, goes into the spinal cord. And when the atlas is, is touching at that particular spot, that will give pain to the, to that same side of the face. It will affect that same side of the face. And I only looked at it through all those first cases as a rotational problem and tried everything I could to change that rotation to take that off there. And some of them were one or two visits and done. And this this gal that I had, this Catholic nun that I had, she, uh, I could not change it. And this one was house calls. This one was, we tried everything. And here's Dr. Gonset on tape telling this listing. And he had his little thing, his little uh, uh, cutout atlas that he had on that paper. And he showed how, how that listing would give that, how that uh, particular misalignment would give that problem because it wasn't the rotation that gave it, but the laterality that gave it. And it was laterality. Mm-hmm. That in, in that instance, it was a uh, pain on the left side of the face. And instead of instead of rotation that would touch that, the laterality was to the right. It was an atlas that was actually a right atlas. And the laterality was over so far and anterior on the right that it interfered with the backside. And, and I, as quick as I could after looking at that on tape... That's what I tried on this particular gal, the Catholic nun. And it was from the very first one we tried, we, uh, it It was it was the difference maker. And that probably in probably about three or four weeks, it was all gone. And I've seen her 10 years since, 20 years since. That was 18 years. I, I've seen her probably 20 years since, and it never returned. So mm-hmm. what I learned at that from watching that tape of Dr. Godson was, we we can we can follow the the neurology to know where that interference is in the cord but we can't take for granted that it's only a certain listing that will do that you mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we that we will accept any listing that will cause problem on that side the fact that it's on that side of the face it has to be at that part of the cord but what particular listing or what particular mechanical change irritates that particular spot it can be a number of different listings and it can even be a listing that might not be on the atlas that winds up causing that so we want to take into account how we go about correcting that we know where it's at but how do we go about correcting it? that it makes it a little more complicated but but if you un- if we understand where that particular spot is on the spinal cord it's a matter of taking that pressure off and, and in most cases it's it's not difficult. The, 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 the one that one I told you about, the nun, that's my toughest one I ever had. And Dr. God said was my wingman on that after watching the tape. That, that's how I got it fixed. So. so.
0: So you think that was a that was a combination of a lot of laterality with some amount of rotation? Does the A.S. component ever come into it where it goes so A.S. that the backside hits that way?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that component can be there too. And, and, and I don't think of it so much as the AS, but the A of the AS. Right. See, right. So that, so he's, so the, you can even break down the AS into its individual components and the anterior, the, if if the first A in the AS, in an ASLA, the first A can be the A that gets you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. with rotation, just pure rotation, we think about an anterior rotated atlas on the side that the trouble's at causes pressure on the posterior cord on that same side. So that that's the first ones that I did. I never thought of anything else. Um, Dr. Gant said on that tape was talking about laterality, how the laterality to the right-hand side caused the pressure on the left side. And just what you just asked is another angle too. I've had one... Where I adjusted them in the chair, and then I'd take them over on the pelvic bench and lay them in side posture. Contact the front of their atlas with my with my pisiform and merely just hold it A to P, not adjust it as like you would adjust. I've never adjusted anybody in side posture like that, but just to take just to help get the A out, to just to hold that, and and I only did that when I didn't think I was getting enough of that A, the first A, out. And that and that's mm-hmm. all another one that I'd had. So, so it really is a matter of, of looking at the, the entire spine. You know, we, in Gonstead, we want to look down, could a seventh thoracic affect this? Absolutely. You know, could a dropped arch affect it You, you want to look, look at everything. You know where that pressure is mm-hmm. on that, on the spinal cord, but yet we still have to be, we still have to be good doctors to understand where about, how would we go about fixing that? Most of the time, it's the simplest thing. It's a simple, like an atlas ad- adjustment. Sometimes it's a little more complex, but you still have to know that it's neuro- neurologically from that spot. And, and from that spot, let me talk about that. From that spot, um, the, first, the first trying to track this down, uh, I had a Dickens of a time because, because if you look at uh, the, the, the trigeminal nucleus as it is in the brainstem, the trigeminal nucleus in the brainstem, you'd see all kinds of, of illustrations of that nucleus as a round nucleus. And and that's because the the, the sections that you would look at were the anatomical sections that you'd look at, whether they were drawings or whether they are actual pictures of sections where they point out where the nucleus is, um, were, were axials. So it was a slice, it was axial slices, and you'd look at axial slices and you'd see the nucleus of the of that looking like a round nucleus. And it wasn't until I got uh, a hold of Dwayne Haynes' Sections and Systems book. It, had, it was a spiral round one I found. And he laid it out on a coronal picture. So he, his sections were like we would look at an MRI in the coronal view. And as soon mm-hmm. as you see the coronal view, you realize that it's not a round nucleus in that, in, in that medulla. That's an that, elongated nucleus that starts clear up by the pons and it ends down by the second cervical. And what great news for chiropractors. It's <laughs> that nucleus is it, cleared down by the second cervical, uh, the level of the second cervical nerve. And of course, why? how can we affect it? Well, goodness gracious, we affect that area of the spine all the time. And, you know, we, we see problems that, that are at the level of the second cervical nerve all the time. So, so it stands to reason that, that we would have a good chance to change that. But, At that point then, as soon as I saw that, it's like, it didn't make sense to me. I'd had 18 of them in eight years. We should have a lot more than that. There should be a lot more than that. If Mm -hmm. that nucleus is cleared down by the second cervical. And it didn't make sense to me that, that we'd, I'd only have one a year if, because certainly if that cord pressure was at that spot, we'd be seeing a lot more than that. And what I found later and it was in Darby and Kramer, I found that the the three branches, and we'll talk about, in fact, we want to talk about all four branches. The three branches of the of the trigeminal uh, up by the temple, of course, is the ophthalmic, the maxillary is and the, you know, the upper teeth, and the mandibular is, of course, the lower jaw. And then the, the oh, uh, motor just basically follows, follows the mandibular. So there's really no motor function to the other two. But the, the top, those three, they go back into the ganglion where the first order nucleus is. Uh, they call called the Gasserian ganglion or the trigeminal ganglion or the semilunar ganglion. And it has different names. And so those, those three nerve, those three sensory nerves, and, uh, are uh, the cell bodies are in the, that ganglion. On the other side of the ganglion, where the, where the axons would be, as they... Go back in and enter into the spinal trigeminal tract. In Darby and Kramer, I read that the that the three tracks take a 180-degree turn before they enter into the into the track. And so because it because the the as they come into that there, as they come into the nucleus, as they leave the nucleus, go in the other direction, they do a hundred and eighty-degree turn. And so what was the top one? The highest one was the ophthalmic winds up being the one that's inserted lowest lowest in the in the spinal tract in the spinal trigeminal tract the maxillary mm-hmm. probably stays right in the sp- Morse fibers in the center and the the mandibular enters its fibers clear up by the pons way up high oh. so the the homunculus if we would draw a homunculus on that it upside down and so the so mm-hmm. it's it's the illustration on a homunculus has the has the the temporal area or the ophthalmic n- branch of that nerve entering down lowest into the into the lowest area, which is cleared down by the second cervical nerve. And at that stage, that makes sense for us chiropractically because we see that, but we just call it a temporal headache. But we see that mm-hmm. basically all the time. If we don't do one of those every day, we might do two or three every day. You know, a, mm-hmm. a headache that's in that uh, that trigeminal branch, uh, the ophthalmic branch, that's, that's that goes from the corner of the eye up and, and doesn't cross the midline, that's a trigeminal headache. And so it's, from that standpoint, that stands to reason we probably see those at a rate of somewhere around one a day. If we don't have one one day, we probably have three the next day. So it's very common what we're going to see. And that makes more sense because we that that area we just see problems in that area at least once a day on somebody or, or more, and so so the maxillary which enters up above we don't we're not near that the same. In other words, those fibers don't enter clear down by the second cervical. But if the if they if the trigeminal if the ophthalmic branch is irritated for a long enough time, it will it will. Excite, or it will cause a problem that will come up into the, into that nucleus at a higher level. That's when it gets to the maxillary one. And that's when they come from the doctor and say, you've got trigeminal neuralgia. So when they, when it's just up in the, when it's just up in the temple, they've got a temporal headache, but once it gets to the maxillary and it goes down into the face there and it becomes so severe, now they're going to get the diagnosis that they have trigeminal neuralgia. And that's, Those are the 18 that I'd seen up to that point, but there are many more that I'd seen that only had the the ophthalmic branch. And at that point I couldn't remember anybody that had the mandibular branch. So those percentages are important. Uh, what we, uh, what we see those percentages, uh, one a day for 40 years is a number I haven't hit my calculator to figure out what it is, but it's a lot. Uh, One a a year for 40 years is easy to figure. That's about 40. I think it's 38, but it's about 40. And in the mandibular branch, I've had one. I've had one in Mm. 40 years. It was not not very long ago. So I've had one that got irritated enough that that bothered that. So if you look at that percentage, and I've had none that have have affected the motor motor branch. I've had zero. And so if you take Mm. those percentages and you look at the anatomy it makes sense the anatomy makes sense that those are the percentages that we see because if the problem is at that level of the spine it's not going to cause problem in the maxillary only until it gets wound up enough where it gets that far and it's got to really wind up to get clear up to affect the mandibular and so because of that percentage because of that percentage like that it really it really spells out the 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 I think that the the neurology in a way that says you need to get to a chiropractor to fix this because, because that's, that's what the percentages say it's for us to do. This thing is for us to correct. And chiropractic doesn't correct this, but specific Gonstead care does. You have to be specific. It's not a matter of a manipulation doing this. It has to be specific Gonstead care. So did is that? Did is that, is that? You have any questions about that? Did I? Did I breeze well,
0: over something? No, that was bad? good. What I'm wondering, especially after what you said about the um, trigeminal nucleus, I didn't know that about how far it goes down. So I'm guessing most of the people you've helped with this, you've probably had to get a very specific listing on an atlas. But I'm wondering, how many people have you helped by either doing C2 or even occiput? Has that been any?
1: Oh, absolutely. It, oh absolutely yes yes it uh it, any any listing that will cause pressure on that back side of that and and uh so any listing that would that would cause now is it the atlas that's touching it but do we need to adjust the c2 to take that off or do we need to right. adjust the c6 to take that off see so i i would accept as as dr Guns had said accept that anywhere that you find it but but the but the anatomy doesn't change. The wiring is the same, no matter what. So if they've got it on the right side of their face, it's on that right half of the cord. It's on the posterior aspect of the cord where those fibers enter in, about 45 degrees. Just on the other side of uh, gracilis and, and, and cunatus, and just uh, just on the spot before the, the posterior spinal cerebellar tracts, it's right between there that those enter. It's right on that spot. And, and it has to be there. Now, how we, again, that's a good question. How we go about, you want to keep in your mind, keep your mind open to any spot that would take pressure off that generally as a rule, it's, it's adjusting the atlas of the occiput or C2, the upper cervical work. But, uh, but if that's not taking pressure off, or if it changes it and it won't make it stay, you know, where do we go from there? You know, that's all about, is, is, is what we're adjusting up there is a compensatory problem for a problem down below. You know, that's, that's, that's why we're, that's why we're going to be Gonset doctors until there's a thud in the adjusting room and we're all done. <laughs> Cause it, we never get this all figured out until I think until we drop over. So, so that's, that's kind of how, uh, understanding all that we, we don't, nobody has all the answers to that yet. As far as I know. So, so, uh, and one of the things that uh, I, I followed in with it, there's a face pain association and the, the facial pain mm-hmm. association is, is very open-minded to all kinds of, all kinds of different things. Um, they, it's not run by medical doctors. It's run by uh, it's, it's, it's another uh, group that, that does all kinds of research and things like that. They have seminars and they have all kinds of things that you can study their perspective and one of the things that they that they've had they've had a couple of uh, online sessions where uh, where they talk about different treatment forms and the medical treatment for this is is very drastic um, over the years its it's probably it's probably the first nerve that that uh, surgeons ever saw because because the pain is so severe they go in and have to cut into somebody to find out what it is and and what they found is, as they would they would cut or deaden a nerve further and further back, they cut it to that spot. Um, they can make the pain stop at a certain point if they go back far enough. Um, the treatment for it now, one of the standard surgeries for this is they they look to an area just outside of the ganglion on, on the on the peripheral side of the ganglion. There's a blood vessel that runs near that, and and are thinking is that that blood vessel um, becomes an irritant to the nerve. And so they go down, they go cut into the brain, a very skillful surge, surgery, and they, they move or transpose that vessel to a different spot so it's not against the nerve. Or they even have a, uh, a piece of, uh, I'm not sure what material it is, I, don't, I doubt if it's plastic, but something that they put in between there. Between the nerve, it kind of wraps around it. Between that and the blood vessel, to change that um, and to help that, and I question—I um, don't question their, their them wanting to help somebody and the fact that they're brain surgeons or the, I would say they're very very skilled, very skilled surgeons. But if the problem was at that spot where they can where they want to blame that blood vessel for doing that, it would aggravate all three actually all four branches of that nerve equally because on that mm. side of the ganglion, all, four, all, all three sensory nerves are on that side. And the motor nerve was in, within the mandibular section at that point also. And so you'd have four different uh, nerve uh, areas that would be affected in the face equally. You'd have the motor uh, area affected and you'd have the three sensory areas affected equally. And my experience over 40 years is is a dramatic difference between how often we see the ophthalmic and how often we see the maxillary and how often we see the mandibular. And so from that standpoint, I I believe that the I think the, the statistics show that the, actually this trouble originates in the around the second cervical level of the spinal cord, not not near a blood vessel in the in the on the other side of the ganglion. So that would be my that would be my thought process, you know. To I, I think we're I think we're spot on for fixing this. I don't see anything else as good, a, a good a good a uh, good idea.
0: Well, then once once you've uh, implicated C two and we're talking about something in the mandibular kind of portion of the face, uh, how often have you seen this problem involve the TMJ that had to be fixed before you could get rid of the problem?
1: And see wouldn't that make wouldn't that make more sense if it was the as the nerve wraps around the tmj to affect the the different branches yes yes yeah the motor branch is in the mandibular so yeah exactly so if you did see it if you did see it down there uh from a problem in the tmj it should have a whole different features than the and, and it's whole different areas uh, you know a whole different pattern than what we see when it's a when it's the other one, you know, when we see the, the upper and the maxillary, so I would say if they have it in the temple and in the maxillary, they better get to a chiropractor. I, I, I think they should get to a chiropractor to have any of it checked out, even if it's the jaw. But, but I think when it's when it's the ophthalmic and when it's in the maxillary branch, I, that's that's for us to do. And and again, it's not a it's not a treatment. It's not a treatment. It's if we get it right, we fix it. We fix it
0: and it doesn't come back. So, well, we're usually taught about tick deliru being in down in the mandibular portion, down to the jaw. So, this maxillary one, um, I think that if the fact that we don't see more might be because those are getting missed. So, how best would we recognize that somebody was having that into the maxillary portion? What what do those symptoms look like?
1: Well, the, the if it's if it's truly the, if it's truly this uh, trigeminal nerve, the pain is, the pain is lightning bolts. The pain is okay. lightning bolts. And so I, I think that the, the nature of that pain is, is so is a, ses, a sensory lightning bolt. Whereas if it, if it's in the, if let's say it is in the TMJ or let's say it's a tooth, a tooth okay. can, can cause some issues like this also. Um, if it's that tooth the pain is not is not the same anybody that's had a toothache knows it starts as a dull a dull throb and it can become very very painful but it's not the uh, the spasms the the, the electrical electrical spasms that that happen when it's the trigeminal nerve when it's just the sensory nerve that's doing the uh, sensory portion of that nerve doing that and the nature of the pain is is incredible we had a uh, you know, we've heard about different people. I mean, as they taught us in school, it's, it, it is a it is a suicidal pain. And I remember in school they taught us, they said, you know, you tell the family, the family members, not to leave sharp objects around them. You know, because the, the pain is so intense that, that, and if they don't think it's ever going to end, they'll end it. And, and, you know, you think about the horror of that pain, how bad that is. And In medieval yeah. times, this is the they would cut into people, you know, to remove the demons or whatever they figured they were doing, but they're trying to, trying to do anything. And, and if you hurt that bad, you would let them do that. You literally let them do that. So, so uh, I don't know if I covered it all, or if more, if you had any questions or if, can you think of anything anybody else I, would want to
0: ask? I'm sure I do have more questions. For example, um, I have this idea, especially when it comes to the occiput of cranial nerves, being subluxated, but not because they're being occluded because obviously the foramen are the foramen size, that's not gonna change. But tension based on misalignment of the occiput producing tension in the nerve, creating nerve changes and thus subluxation. Have, I guess in theory, Crayon nerve five is far enough forward that it may it might be harder to put much tension on it. It tends to be the ones with the higher numbers, um, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. They tend to be a little more subjected to some tension. Have you seen an occiput fix this kind of problem at all? I
1: I've, I've had to adjust an occiput on on this one. Yes, I have adjusted okay. an occiput on this one, I, and, and that and what you're talking about that that tug or that tension that that would be on that cranial, especially the lower cranials, you know, the, the higher number of cranials. I think that's the same thing we see on a spondylow I don't think we see a I don't think we see a close, you know, a, a stenotic opening, uh, causing the spondyl, I think we, I think, I think we see a torsion or a pull on the spondyl nerves. So I, I, what you, yeah, I think what you're doing, what you're talking about the cranials just makes good sense to me, you know, but this cranial exits, this cranial exits, um, not down by the occiput, but, but you may have to, it may be an occiput correction in order to take that pressure off that backside of that spinal cord. So the occiput would certainly be at the right. level that would do it you know, this, yeah, this, the C2. And, and some, some texts will go further than that. Um, I've seen texts where they'll say it goes down to level C4. So, so I wouldn't rule out a third cervical, you know, although touching mm-hmm. the backside of the cord of the third cervical will be a lot tougher. You know, the uh, posterior pressure, posterior pressure on the, on the cord is almost exclusively up top. It, it's very difficult to cause posterior pressure. Uh, lower in the, in the spine, anterior pressure, different story, but but uh, on the on the sensory side, that's that be that be where I would look. It's mostly up top, and you know, I had the, the one I had that had it in the jaw. It, it took us about ten days. It never came back. You know, probably saw him adjust, adjusting probably four times, and it was just a, it was just a listing that what wasn't difficult and. It went away and it stayed away, and and I, um, some of them it's a fight to the finish to get that thing just right, and to get that pain completely gone. So they're not all easy. Uh, I won't tell you that, but it's all a matter of making that spot, making that come off that spot. So, so that's the way I see it. And hopefully that, hopefully that, um, I don't know if that clears up certain things or or makes more questions for everybody. It may, it may, you know, it may just. uh doesn't it doesn't give the answer to everything that's for sure but but hopefully it and others may have a different experience than i've had as far as the numbers they've had and and, uh, what results they've had too so so if if somebody come in and say i adjust the coccyx on that and it all goes away in one visit i'd be doing that next
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and so with what you're talking about with the atlas since you're talking about the posterior side getting pressure you're, just to be clear, you're primarily talking about, say, an ASRA or an ASLA, not so much the the P, because as the P goes, it's going to pull away from that, but it's going to produce pressure on the front side of the cord. Is that correct, or could any of the atlas listings potentially produce this? It, it, it,
1: to my thinking, early on, it should all be it should always be on the A side, the rotated A right. side. Now you might have a subluxation on the posterior side and. Causing the pressure on the a side, see. So, so you let's say you had an as, had an aslp. In that instance, there the anterior side, which is the right side, may cause pressure on the right side of the face. See. Mm. So, so from that, that listing may do that. That's that's where I, the ones I had difficulty with was trying all those different rotations. That's all I ever had in my mind was rotation. And it was at that point that Dr. Gant said on that tape says, "No, oh, the laterality goes that way." So in that instance, there, the the laterality, let's say let's say you you've got laterality that the atlas is to the left side lateral, that may cause pressure on the right side of that posterior aspect. See, and and so he's, um, in fact, the example that's on that tape, and that tape is. Is still around, so you, anybody can look that up. And if you, that example's on the tape, was a left-sided face pain, and the and the listing was a ASRA, and I thought, well, that makes it P on the back side of the left. That can't be it. That can't be right. And and but yet, when he showed it with the with his little model, he showed the laterality coming clear f- so far to the right-hand side that it brings that that posterior arch onto the back side of that left uh, the left cord. So mm. so it was it, it it can be the rotation is the main factor, it could be the laterality is the main factor. And it might even be that AS or like you say, perhaps that's traction and up to bother that cord or 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 moving in a different direction. Maybe it's maybe it's the first A that does it. So the only thing that I can tell you anatomically for sure is it has to come from the same side on that back side, and whatever listing you have to invent to get that pressure off there. That's what we have to do. And, and, and and Mm -hmm. like I say, most of them, most of them first try the first angle. Uh, Some of them, Oh, okay. Let's try it this other way and wind up doing a different, you know? So, so most of it's that, and then I've had some where I've had to do a seventh cervical to make it stay. You know where you where you wind up uh they're doing better and they do better for a couple of weeks and then it's back and a couple of weeks and back and you go down and you find the lower one and and that makes it stay so so it's a, it's it's just a matter of just like we do everything else get get to the get to the main one and fix that so so but uh but don't be afraid of this one they're in a lot of pain um
0: i what i was thinking about was as you were saying that, that the, um, let's say you have a, uh, well, whether it's a posterior C7 or not, let's say you have a loss of lordosis in the cervical. So you've got either a straight neck or maybe a little kyphotic, but let's just say it's straight. Those, it's often a booger to try to adjust an atlas above a straight neck. Um, And so that straight neck could be because of the atlas being bad or the C2, or it could be something lower. It could even be a rotated T2 or a rotated T4. So how would you manage that? Is that what you would do? Would you need to would you try to get something out of there to try to get a little bit of that lordosis back in before you try to set the atlas, or would you go right off the atlas right from the beginning?
1: I try to take that pressure off that off the worst part of it right away, and so and let's say let's say you did that top one and and, and it was merely com, compensatory for below. I think you should. I think it would it would certainly give them relief, but it wouldn't be the permanent. It wouldn't be relief that stays. So they would have mm-hmm. a you know, they would come back and say, you know, it's back to square one again. You know, so there's, there's if you saw if you saw something that was ahead that far, you know, like you're saying, even reverse curve where it's way forward up, up at the top, you, you've got to get that back. You got to get the rest of that below to get that back. Yeah, yeah. So so it it yeah it, it would, you know that does that, um, is that the first thing that they had? It might have been, you know. That might've been their original problem that started the whole parade to begin with, you know? So you you have to get that or nothing ever stays, but, uh, but, but they get tremendous relief. If you take that pressure off that thing, even temporary, they get tremendous relief. if You just take a hold of it and hold it. If you just figure mm-hmm. out what listing that you're going to try on that and you just take and hold it, just sit there in the chair and hold it for 90 seconds. the, 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 the shooting stops, the shooting stops right away. So it's just like having your hand slam the car door and somebody opens the car door. It feels good right away. It takes, it doesn't make all your pain go away, but it takes a lot of pressure off right away. And you can do that just by holding that spot. And, they, they, and, that, and that might be a way to approach it for the first visit or the first, you know, before mm-hmm. you actually adjust it is let's hold this for a minute and see. Because if if you held that for a minute and it was it was firing it up, I'd say we better recalculate that one <laughs> before we adjust it. You know, so you want to make sure that you, before you adjust that, you're going to be just right. So, yeah, there's, it, it, it's, I, I I certainly can't give a recipe as do this, or do that.
0: right? Yep. Um, the, the other atlas listing we didn't talk about, but I bring it up just because I had one this week, which is kind of odd, but the AI. But based on what you said earlier, it's the A portion that's the problem. So even if you did have an AI, it could still do it because the anterior is going to drag that posterior arch up into that area and affect that nucleus, correct?
1: I, th- I think so. I think so, yes. And, we, and, and, and when we're doing atlases, the first letter of the listing we ignore so much. But that's, a, that's on every yep. atlas listing is A. Dr. Gonson said they got to go A. And, and so and I think that's the most difficult thing we do as a chiropractor if we get off topic here, because um, doing the, getting the A out of the atlas, yeah, I think to me is just as difficult as getting the A out of the pelvis. <laughs> the, AS, the A.S. ilium to me is, is very difficult to get the A part out. You know, like mm-hmm. We spend most of our days standing behind somebody, pushing something forward. And, and uh, you know, getting behind them and, and going <laughs> go P to A, even in the pelvis or down low. And and uh, when it comes to bringing something from A to P, we don't do that real well, you know. We, we almost have to have to have an effort or think about it before we do it. So, so uh, yeah, that AI atlas, you got to get that A out. You got to take that A. So that would be a good part of it. So you bet. You bet. Well,
0: and since we kind of jumped off topic, what you said about the spondylolisthesis thesis for me it makes so much sense because with my spondy, I've often said my nerve feels like it's too short or it's under too much tension. I feel like a marionette and the string's too tight. And that seems like such an odd thing, but it goes back to the, the tension idea of nerves that I think you're right. I don't think it's an occlusion with a spondy, I think it's a tension. And so we have to be mindful of, not only is it subluxated, but but how is it subluxated? What is the problem? Is something being closed in, we need to open it? Or is something being stretched and we almost need to shorten it? and give it back some of its slack because either one's a possibility
1: and, and and when you do the when you do one and it's the other we find out right away <laughs> because <laughs> it, you know yeah. if uh, if it needs to, if it, if, it, if if we need to go if if we go south and we need to go north we find out right away and and vice versa so so exactly that that's bond law that, do, do we need to pull that a certain way or do we need to push it up the other way and a spawn law is the pain patterns on a spondyl. I tried to do that at the last seminar and that and that's a, a that's a big dark area for me there's there's a lot to understand that I don't get right now so still just doing the kindergarten stuff on that right now so but uh yeah there's, there's that's why that's why this is like I could say we're gonna all do this until we clunk over because there's you're never gonna learn it all and it's too much fun trying to figure it all out so so
0: yeah hopefully that hopefully this, challenge. hopefully
1: this helps in some ways for some people listening to this. So, so very good. So, well, unless, unless you had any other questions.
0: Well, the final question I have for you is, uh, what kind of success rate have you really seen with this? Have, have most of your patients gotten better from handling this or have you had some that were just like, can't figure it out?
1: I had one, I had the one that out of the first 18 and I, I had the rest of her family, but I never did get her straightened out. That was before I had any of this figured out. And then I had the mm. other gal that went to the dentist. And when when she when she was done with me, I did not have it corrected. Now since that time, I think I've had them all. I think I've gotten them all since that time. That was, like I said, that was my eighteenth year. So there was two of those. And and the, my toughest one was the one that I got. I never would have got except for Doctor Gonstead's tape. But since then, mm. it's, it's no different than any other headache. You, you make a headache go away, um, sometimes really quick and easy, and other times it takes kind of a fight to get it to the finish line, you know, where they don't have headaches anymore. And that's, that's no different than this. It's the, it's, it's the same mechanism. So, so I think if we, if we know where that, where that problem, where that nerve problem uh, emanates from, that back part of that cord, it's just a matter of figuring out step by step what you got to do to get that off there, and most of the time it's your first step or two that's going to get it. I think you're going to get the right angle 75% of the time, and and the other 25% you're going to get by the time you try the second angle. So, so I, I think and I, I don't I don't think it's a complicated thing once once you once you know where that comes from and you know right where it comes from. It's just a matter of getting that off there. So. No, I was gonna say they they need to get to a Gonset doctor. That's what they need to do and and, and you you study yeah. that till you figure it out. And, you know, Dr. Gonset gave us the recipes for doing this. You know, he gave us the recipes and it's just a matter of us following through. So so I know that I know that he wouldn't take I know that he wouldn't stop until he had it figured out and I think we should do the same, so so very good.
0: So the main to take home from what you said is that if you have something like this, what you need to figure out is what is the primary component of the subluxation? Is it primary laterality? Is it primarily rotation? Is it potentially primarily the AS component? And then your adjustment needs to be tailor-made to make sure that you're taking out the major component majorly and then handling the other components proportionally, kind of like any adjustment we would give, really. Um, to make sure that we're taking out all those components, but it might require more laterality or it might require more rotation based on different scenarios. Is that basically the take home to make sure that we're getting the parts right? Yeah.
1: Yes. And the subluxation can be under either lateral mass.
0: Okay. Well, um, sorry, no. So it can be under either lateral mass?
1: Yes, either lateral mass. It could be a listing on the right or listing on the left. But but as as long as you understand that the left side face paint comes from the left side cord and the right side face paint comes from the right side cord, you just figure that listing out from that point.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation about a very complicated topic. I really appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Well, very good. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you, Dr. David. You take care, all right?
0: It's always good to talk to you, too. I always learn something, so thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Have a good night.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. O'Hara for joining me. He's one of those people that I learn from every time I talk to him. If you ever have the opportunity to learn from him at a seminar, take it. You won't be disappointed. Today's conversation with Dr. O'Hara reminded me of something I've been thinking about all week. This last week, I saw some really sick patients, from the inevitable acute low back, to a kid who wet the bed every night and just wanted to grow past it, to a young patient with severe vertigo who was on his fourth day of suffering. Each one of these is desperate to get their life back. From my perspective, all the work and suffering of getting through school would be worth it to just help one of these people. If I knew it, going through school that I would only help one to get their life back, I would still do it. Thanks to the Gonstead system and specific chiropractic, all three of them saw resolution of their symptoms. Unfortunately, that's often when we take it for granted. I'm trying to intentionally remind myself not to do that. For those individual patients, that adjustment means everything, and that's why they deserve my everything when I give it. For Dr. O'Hara's patients with TIC de la Rue, the same is true. The adjustment means everything, So always give every adjustment your everything. I know it's easier said than done, but that's what we strive for. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.